0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Tuesday edition, the international confab on the climate continued today in Scotland. As President Biden claimed he had the backing of the American people. The American people, four or five years ago, weren't at all sure about climate change, whether it was real. Well, they have, as they say in southern parts of my state, seen the Lord. I think he meant a come-to-Jesus meeting. Just like the phrase, though, I think he may be mistaken on the support for his costly proposals. We'll discuss it with Oklahoma Senator James Langford in just a moment. Also, the Department of Labor announced yesterday that the vaccine mandate guidelines for businesses with over 100 employees would be out in the coming days. Now, some are anticipating that means by the end of the week. With many industries asking for a delay in the mandate, given the large percentage of unvaccinated workers, what impact may this have on an already sluggish economy as more workers could be driven from the workforce? We'll talk about it. The legacy of former President Donald Trump is closely tied to the federal courts, where he nominated and the Republican leader, Mitch McConnell, guided to confirmation a record setting number of judges, almost all of them constitutionalist. President Biden is now taking a turn at the courts, and while it's extremely doubtful it will be part of his legacy, he is pushing through those who stand in sharp contrast to President Trump's judges. The question is, are Republicans resisting these nominees? We'll talk with the ranking Republican member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley, later here on Washington Watch. We now know, despite the denials, that critical race theory is a part of the indoctrination taking place in public school classrooms. But but it may soon be coming to your doctor's office. Yes, that's right. Late last week, the American Medical Association released a publication entitled Advancing Health Equity, a Guide to Language, Narrative, and Concepts. The 54-page publication is designed to instruct medical personnel on how to communicate with equity. I'm not making this up. It's real. We'll talk with Dr. Jeff Barrow, Senior Vice President of Bioethics and Public Policy at the Christian Medical and Dental Association. And finally, you may recall previous discussions about the National Defense Authorization Act, or NDAA, which is an annual must-pass bill that funds the military. It means they have to pass it every year. This year, some Democrats have put some booby traps in the bill, like forcing women to register for the draft. Now, given that this is a must-pass piece of legislation, those on the left have inserted these measures, believing they can box Republicans in, forcing them to vote for a bad bill. The bill will be on the Senate floor this week, and Missouri Senator Josh Hawley will be offering an amendment to remove women from being forced to register for the draft, and FRC Action will be scoring in favor of that amendment. Senator Holley joins me later to discuss that and more. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on the free speech platform of Gab, it's at Tony underscore Perkins. That's at Tony underscore Perkins. And by the way, for those of you who would like to join me each morning, I have a devotion on Facebook. And guess what my Facebook page is called? Tony Perkins. So check it out and join us each morning for a devotion as we do a two-year journey through the Bible. All right. uh, Also, from border to border, from coast to coast on November 28th, we will be praying together for life. So mark your calendars. We'll be uh, praying in Jackson, Mississippi, the epicenter of the upcoming Supreme Court case that will be argued on December the 1st. That could that could challenge the uh, constitutionality of Roe. So mark your calendars. I'll have more details in the days ahead. But that's Sunday night, November the 28th at 7 p.m. Central Time, just three days before the Supreme Court hears those oral arguments. Okay. yesterday, the U.S. Department of Labor said the Biden administration will in the coming days publish the long anticipated federal rule requiring private companies with more than 100 employees to either force their staff to get a covid shot or submit to regular testing. The rule had been drafted by the Occupational Safety and Health Administration under the orders from the White House and submitted on October the 12th to the Office of Management and Budget, which completed its review yesterday. Now Given the workforce fallout we've seen since the president first announced his mandates for private companies on September the 9th, how much worse might things get? And what can be done? Well, with me now to talk about this and more is U.S. Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma, who is a member of the Senate Committee on the Homeland Security and Government Affairs. Senator Lankford, welcome back to the program. Always great to see you.
2: Tony, great to see you as well, always.
1: Before we get to the COVID shot issue, I want to get your thoughts as a member of the Senate Committee on Energy and Natural Resources, and as a senator from the state of Oklahoma, where energy is a big deal, I want to get your thoughts on the president's remark at the Climate Confab in Scotland. I got a clip of something he said earlier today. Clip three, please. To reach net zero by 2050, we're going to need to mobilize trillions of dollars, as our friends at the end of the table know trillions of dollars in financing to harness both private and public sector resources. Now, the president gave away a lot of stuff over there in Scotland. Did you guys give him some stuff to give away?
2: Uh, no, we did not. And I think this is going to be similar to what uh, President Obama did during the Paris Accords when he came and made a bunch of promises that never came back to Congress to be able to ask, to be able to certify, ratify the treaty Uh, He never asked for any of the legislation around it. He just declared it and said, I'm going to come home and be able to make it. So what President Biden is doing in Scotland right now is promising that he's going to increase the prices for natural gas, increase the prices for gasoline. That's going to directly affect consumers. Ninety eight percent of all the vehicles on the road right now are gas powered uh, vehicles that are out there, gas or diesel powered uh, vehicles. So he's directly pointing towards 98 percent of Americans and saying, I'm going to raise your prices even more than they've already gone up. And we've all seen the inflation rate that's happened just since President Biden's been president. So he's going to Scotland and saying, if they thought it was bad then, wait till they see what's coming next. That's a big concern for every American. By the way, I don't know of a person that doesn't want clean air, clean water to be able to take care of our environment. We are stewards of God's creation. But what he's talking about is not just good stewardship. It's going to directly affect those in, in the highest need and with the greatest amount of poverty.
1: But we can do both because over the last century, we have improved our air quality and the water quality. In fact, we have some of the cleanest air we've ever had since the Industrial Revolution in America.
2: That is correct. And what's interesting is one of the things that President Biden's talking about even today is reducing methane emissions and reducing the use of natural gas so what's happening in the Northeast and Delaware and states like is they use a lot of home heating oil. And they're saying, we don't want to switch from home heating oil to switch to natural gas, which is cleaner. They're going to literally punish natural gas in the process. So it, it's just nonsensical climate policy. It seems to be words and focus on we're going to set out a target and a number. And everyone can kind of cheer over there in Scotland and say, isn't this a great number? But I don't think people are going to be cheering in the days ahead when they see some of the regulations that they're going to try to put down on the economy and what that's going to mean for prices. I'm with you. I think there is a way to be able to be a good steward of God's earth, but not having to be able to punish the poorest of poor in the
1: process. Well, he's really coming after Oklahoma. He's coming after your oil and gas and your cows. Uh, it's going to be uh, yes. bad bad for Oklahoma. But Oklahoma is not the only state. Uh, one of the big hiccups here for the president in getting his reconciliation bill that contain all of these elements of uh, the Green Deal is the reconciliation bill, but it also hits at coal. Senator uh, Joe Manchin, one of your colleagues, Democrat from West Virginia, has kind of been the, uh, the stumbling block for the administration on that issue in particular. But also, another issue that you've picked up uh, that, well, you've championed it since you've been in the Senate and even in the House, and that is protecting taxpayers from being forced to enter into uh, funding the abortion industry, the Hyde Amendment, which has been removed from all of those funding. uh, He's making an issue over that as well. So where does that reconciliation measure stand? Will they get that through?
2: No. At current status, we still don't have the text. What's interesting is they made a big deal in the House last week and said, here's our 2,500 pages of text. We start going through the text, and there's big sections of it saying, we'll fill this in later. We'll fill this in later. Uh, so we don't have actually all the texts at this point, and there's a lot of things they've still not answered their questions on. As you mentioned before, Hyde Protections is one of those. You've been a champion to be able to talk about that. They fund a lot of areas in healthcare spending, saying these areas don't have Hyde Protections. They're compelling states uh, that don't give money to Planned Parenthood to be able to fund Planned Parenthood uh, through this. Democrats are absolutely obsessed with increasing the number of abortions in America. And it's interesting to me, every single bill that they put out They try to find some way to promote abortions in America to literally create more abortions in America is is unreal to me. For those of us that do the basic science to be able to look in the womb and to be able a child sucking its thumb and you can count its fingers and toes and see the beating heart and listen to its heartbeats. We understand that that's a child and they're obsessed with trying to find new ways to be able to take the life of children. So they've got a lot of those in this bill. They've got a lot of climate change issues, as you mentioned with the Green New Deal that they've stepped in this bill. They have a lot of new entitlements that are in it, but they also go after things like school choice to try to limit access to school choice for their free child care and their free pre-K program that they talk so much about. They've snuck in additional pieces saying, well, this wouldn't really go to faith-based institutions. They've got to be government run or got to be secular institutions. Uh, if you're faith-based, we don't want to have those children actually being influenced by people of faith. And they try to reverse the Pell Grant program even Uh, for uh, the graduate level and for the undergraduates uh, to say, we're trying to steer you away from anyone that's a faith-based institution and trying to be able to get that. So they're literally trying to manage and control uh, where you go away from anything of faith. Uh, And it's a pretty dramatic shift of what we've seen from anything in the past where government was neutral to all things of faith. They're trying to move towards government is hostile towards all things of faith.
1: I, I want to have a longer conversation at some point because you said something and I think, you know, we, we, we hear it, but we really don't unpack it. And that is the left's obsession with abortion. It, it is true. It's real. Uh, I'm seeing with my own eyes, but we, we don't have time for that today. I, I want to very quickly, before we run out of time, turn to the covid shot mandates. Mm-hmm. How concerned are you about the news yesterday from the Department of Labor regarding the rules for private companies, especially with the holidays coming? What is this going to do to our economy?
2: Yeah, September the 9th, uh, when President Biden first started talking about this, I started pushing against it. And even at that time, I said, he's going to wait. He set this deadline of November the 9th of having your shot done by that point, or you won't be able to make the deadlines. I made a statement at that point. He's not going to release the regulations on this until after that deadline, because he knows if he releases this regulation, it'll be challenged in court. The court will hold it and will say, you can't move on that. And so this is his way of dragging his feet uh, to try to get to this this deadline that he has hanging out there without actually having the court try to intervene in the process. Because right now, no one can sue a speech uh, because there's no regulation sitting out there, and I don't think we'll have a regulation until it's too late. What I'm seeing in this is, for instance, just in package delivery, UPS and FedEx are under this requirement, but he waived uh, the United States Postal Service and said they're not under this requirement. They don't have to all get the shots if you're if you work for the United States Postal Service. But the other delivery companies, they do, which has put those other delivery companies that are private companies at a real disadvantage. We see this in every area where we've talked to lots of employers from my office and my team where they're struggling now because they're literally having people quit their jobs, move to other companies, and it's causing a real problem for them. So right as we're approaching the season around the holiday season, when a lot of businesses are ramping up, they're literally losing their employees, a lot of them long-term experienced employees. Uh, because they're saying, I've already had COVID. I don't want to take the shot as well. They have a reasonable uh, belief uh, dealing with either religious accommodations or medical issues their own doctors talk to them about. But the administration saying, if CDC, literally if Washington, D.C., doesn't agree with your local doctor, Washington, D.C. wins. That is the difference in how we really think about these healthcare issues.
1: Well, I also think, and we're up against a break here, but I think there's an unfunded mandate in here where these employers have to give people time off to get the shot. And if they get sick, they have to cover that time as a result of the, the shot. Senator, out of time, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for coming in today.
2: You bet. Great to see you again, Tony. All
1: right, Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma. Stick with us. We're going to have the ranking member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, Chuck Grassley, next here on Washington Watch. Oklahoma.
3: With tech censorship on the rise, we've increasingly seen the cancellation of conservatives and Christians. At Family Research Council, we want to be proactive about making sure big tech doesn't completely silence us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, if we are canceled, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone by signing up for our text alerts. Just text Stan to 67742. Again, text STAND to 67742, and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for what's right and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Join us for FRC and
0: FRC Action's inaugural Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. In light of the growing opposition our culture has expressed against biblical principles and to the truth of God's word, we've launched Pray, Vote, Stand Summit to equip and encourage Christians to respond to this opposition from a biblical worldview. We will address issues such as protecting the unborn, the importance of the nuclear family, domestic and international religious liberty, developments in our nation's education system, and more. We see the need for the restoration of a biblical foundation in our nation and the necessity to equip Christians to effectively engage the culture and understand current events through a biblical lens. Join us at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia, from October 6th through the 8th for the Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. Register online at prayvotestand.org/summit, or by calling 877-372-2808.
4: More than ever before, Christians need to be grounded in the truth of God's Word and be prepared to articulate them in a winsome manner. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. By applying the Bible and the historical teachings of the church to a wide range of relevant issues, including voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality, the experts at the center have provided resources to help Christians live by a biblical worldview. To understand why, Scripture must be authoritative and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. Access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series at frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including their latest blogs, op-eds, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org subscriptions.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Again, uh, jot this down, November the 28th. It is praying together for life. Uh, we're going to be joining in, uh, joined together in Jackson, Mississippi. It's going to be from coast to coast, border to border, uh, a nationwide prayer meeting as the Supreme Court takes up the Dobbs case, which will challenge the constitutionality of uh, Roe v. Wade on December the 1st of dis- November the 28th. Sunday night, we'll be having that prayer meeting. More details still to come. The saying goes in Washington, D.C., is that personnel is policy. And if the crop of Biden administration judicial nominees already confirmed or about to be confirmed by the Senate is any indication Uh, President Biden's picks leave much to be desired in terms of sound legal doctrine and fairness. Case in point, Beth Robinson, uh, who was nominated by the administration to serve as a judge on the Second Circuit Court of Appeals. She was confirmed yesterday by a vote of 51 to 45 with Senators Murkowski and Collins as the only Republicans voting in favor. Robinson's history of disrespect for religious freedom does not bode well for how she will treat those come before her on the bench. Joining me now to discuss this is the ranking member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa. Senator, welcome back to the program. It's been a while. Great to have you on.
5: Well, glad to be with you, and i would be with you whenever you ask me.
1: Well, I I appreciate your insight on the Judiciary Committee as a non-lawyer And uh, now as the ranking member, you basically guide the Republicans through. You raise concerns over Judge Robinson. What were those concerns?
5: Well, the big picture is does she have the proper appreciation of the constitutional First Amendment right of freedom of religion? When you get down into some of her thinking about it, I think the thing that influenced us uh, the most on the Republican side is the fact that, uh, uh, she, uh, was taking the position that a person that did not want to make a, a cake for a particular wedding, uh, and, and because it was violation of that business person's religious freedom or whatever they believed, uh, as far as their Catholic faith was concerned, that, uh, that, uh, they were then sued. And uh, we feel that somebody on the bench that comes from that point of view is not going to give a fair shake to freedom of religion.
1: Yeah, she uh, she refused to, in that particular case, uh, she argued that the RIFA, the Re- Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which I believe you were a part of when it was initially passed, did not apply. And this couple had discriminated against a, uh, a pro-abortion plaintiff. Uh, Is this the type of nominees that we're seeing come through uh, under the Biden administration, those that are really kind of hostile to religious freedom?
5: I don't know whether I'd use the word hostile, but it leaves a lot of questions in your mind uh, where we got a court now that has given uh, great respect for the First Amendment right of freedom of religion, that that these folks would come in in a more compromising way. I wouldn't want to take the position to say that they would be anti-religion, but they wouldn't have the same respect that you ought to have, like, for instance, uh, in the case of Missouri, where the church could accept federal funds uh, for a highway, I mean a parking lot, where there isn't any question of the government's involving in the preaching of that church. But uh, that's the sort of a thing I use as a litmus test of how how you might approach a freedom or religion.
1: Uh, but, Senator, that goes back to your judicial philosophy, where the nominees and as you were the chairman during the Trump years, when you shepherded through some of his Supreme Court nominees, it was those some of those meetings got pretty intense. Uh, these were nominees who had a what we call a constitutional, strict constructionist view of the Constitution. How do you uh, compare that to what we're seeing with the Biden administration? Not necessarily the outcomes in particular issues, but the view of the Constitution, which is the bedrock, the foundation of our rights and freedoms.
5: The difference between black and white. I saw most of the people that were appointed by President Trump to be what you call strict constructionists, people that are going to interpret the Constitution according to original intent when it comes to statute, textualism. Uh, well, I guess that applies to the Constitution as well. Uh, and, uh, and don't see the Constitution as changing, evolving over uh, time beyond the original intent Of the constitution writers. And then uh, on the other side, you see the people that are being nominated today as accepting this position of an evolving constitution. So that kind of, when you go with the latter approach, it's kind of like saying, you know, I'm a super legislature. If the legislature didn't uh, read this constitution or this statute real specifically, then I can kind of use my power on the Supreme Court uh, to uh, to read in between the lines, or when it comes to the Constitution, a very expansive point of view of uh, the Constitution, way beyond what the congressional writers intended.
1: Uh, Senator Grassley, we just got about forty seconds left. Um, I know the Republicans are not in the majority; they're in the minority, very slightly in the minority. Uh, and some of these things are frustrating. You can't control the agenda. But how can our listeners help? Because these are, f- these are really critical issues when we talk about who's going on to the bench and who's going to be hearing these cases. How can our listeners help?
5: Well, first of all, uh, first uh, Timothy 2, 1 and 2 says to pray for people in government. Uh, every person that's a believer in Christ ought to be doing that. Secondly, uh, you have a right to contact your uh, congressman or representative, and whether you agree with them or not, you ought to let them know your point of view. That's the best impact. If you are fortunate enough to have, like we do in Iowa, most public officials hold town meetings, go to the town meetings, write letters to the editor, uh, not just about whether you agree with a congressman or disagree with a congressman, but just express your point of view. Right, uh, right. And uh, and if you can get on talk radio, you ought to get on talk radio, even if it's only for five minutes or well, even good for advice. three
1: minutes. Good advice, Senator. And uh, look forward to having you back on again real soon to talk uh, even more about what's happening. Thank you here very in much. Bye. All right, folks, stick with us. We've got more Washington Watch to come right after this.
7: But struggled to get in a groove? It can be hard, especially if you don't know where to start. Or how to understand and apply what you've read. Or maybe it's just that doing it alone has made it too easy to give up. Well, let me encourage you. You don't have to do this daily discipline alone. You can join Family Research Council's Stand on the Word two-year Bible reading plan. God's Word is necessary in our lives. So much so that Christ said we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. That is why we want to read the Bible daily, and we'd love for you to join us so we can stay grounded in God's truth and grow closer to God together. Our hope is that this plan will help you be transformed by God's Word by reading and hearing it daily. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org slash Bible. That's frc.org slash Bible.
1: This is Washington Watch, and I'm Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, last week, uh, Thursday to be exact, the American Medical Association released a 54-page document instructing, or more accurately, indoctrinating physicians on how to talk to their patients. The document tells physicians, quote-unquote, commonly used language that is really just language that advances woke newspeak. It suggests uh, so much new misleading vocabulary, the 40% of its total content is devoted to the glossary. The point, it says, is to reshape narratives in pursuit of health equity. According to the association, health equity and related fields, including, and it admits this, critical race theory, gender studies, disability studies, as well as scholarship from social medicine, gives us a foundation for an alternative narrative, one that challenges the status quo quote. So what are we to make of this? Joining me now to discuss this new document, this new guidance for medical personnel is Dr. Jeff Barrows, Senior Vice President of Bioethics and Public Policy at the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Dr. Barrows, welcome back to Washington
8: Watch. Thank you, Tony. Good to be with you again.
1: So, uh, Doc, let me ask you, what's your reaction to this latest AMA document?
8: Well, I wish I could say I'm surprised. The the AMA is increasingly ideologic in all of their um their public statements. Uh they clearly have bought into the uh LGBTQ agenda in so many ways and and now with this they're clearly buying into critical race theory uh and they're they're not hiding it. They're making it very clear. They're in fact very proud of it. So, uh I I while not surprised, I'm very concerned because the AMA is now moving into, as you alluded to, the the whole topic of how a physician or healthcare professional should begin to talk to their patients within the privacy of an examination room, and that's always very disconcerting.
1: Well, in, in some of the uh, the terms. Uh, as you look through, I've, I've looked through this, you know, the 54 pages. You know, un, uh, avoid unintended, unintentional blaming. Uh, for instance, uh, here is, instead of using this term, workers who do not use PPE, that's personal protective equipment, it should be people with limited access to specific services or resources or workers under-resourced with and name the specific service or resource, so it, it really is taking away personal responsibility also when it goes into various uh, health related issues it's removing the individual from responsibility, I guess placing it on all of society, which is really what critical race theory is about
8: yeah, I noticed that and and also another example is they they are saying to healthcare professionals. Rather than uh, using the terminology people who do not seek health care, they ought to instead use workers under-resourced with a specific service or a particular healthcare resource, which completely, as you said, takes away any type of personal responsibility. And and that that is not the way medicine is. In my many years of practice of OBGYN, uh, I found that when when someone was not seeking health care, there was a reason for it. and Or when they were doing something that was not good for their health care, it was an individual decision. And, and this is the majority of what we're seeing in healthcare. care. So to shift it to somehow a systems view or a systems explanation for this is, number one, it's, it's wrong. It, it isn't based on good evidence, and it's dangerous.
1: Yeah, dangerous. I would like to zero in on that because we've seen this in other industries or aspects of society. I'll say the Department of Defense, for one, where their mission is to fight and win wars. Doctors are to treat patients and help people get better. But there's a distraction that takes place. There's only so much time. Uh, my doctor is a friend of mine, and I know how much he has to do in keeping up just with the paperwork and all of the the the, the demands this is yet something else that can distract from the core mission, is it not?
8: Well, I, I agree. The core mission is to really, I think, treat the individual as an individual, and this is another problem with this whole approach, is that they they want to move away from looking at at individuals as individuals and and looking at them as part of a a structural system, and that's where the problems are. And and as a patient myself, I want I want to be looked at. As an individual, I want my physician to be caring for me and my particular needs, my particular health concerns at that time, and that's all critical within that physician patient relationship that that I was raised and, and trained to, to value so much.
1: How do you think doctors are going to respond to this? Uh, And I know a lot of these these things are kind of long-term. They they want to get the the, the students coming out of medical schools. That's where they'll use their greatest amount of influence. Well, the the older doctors just kind of blow this off, but it's going to be more of the indoctrination of the younger doctors?
8: It will. It will initially be a, a kind of recommendation, and as you said, certainly an indoctrination that will no doubt begin in medical school, um, most of the medical schools now incorporate um, certain interactions within the uh, examination room with paid actors, and no doubt the scripts will be provided for the students, and they will be indoctrinated into what language to use. But my long-term concern as well is that while now it is a recommended terminology, that eventually it will become a, a demanded terminology. And we're already yeah. beginning to see this with the LBTQ. Q issues and that if you do not use the right language, you do not use the right phraseology, you don't use the right narrative, then you can lose your job.
1: Right. Wrong pronoun, whatever. Uh, Dr. Yes. Barrows, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today.
8: Well, My pleasure, Tony. Great to be with you.
1: All right, folks. Uh, earlier today, Senator Jim Enhoff, the ranking member on the Senate Armed Service Committee, led a group of Republican colleagues calling on uh, Democratic leadership in the Senate to schedule a vote on the National Defense Authorization Act. We're going to talk about that next with our
3: good friend, Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student? Specifically, one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to influence public policy and culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12- to 15-week internship program that prepares and equips students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview trainings, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns will have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls them. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving interns the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. Is real biblical masculinity
0: lost forever? In this culture of gender confusion, there are too few examples of godly manhood. So where can men, husbands, and fathers find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength in this culture? Try our Stand Courageous Men's Ministry. We seek to help men develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men Who Will Stand Courageous. We invite you to join us at a Stand Courageous men's conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who struggle with the same issues you do and will invest in unpacking our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can have a generational influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand
3: Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With tech censorship on the rise, we've increasingly seen the cancellation of conservatives and Christians. At Family Research Council, we want to be proactive about making sure big tech doesn't completely silence us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, if we are canceled, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone by signing up for our text alerts. Just text STAND to 67742. Again, text STAND to 67742, and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for what's right and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know.
1: This is Washington Watch, and I'm Tony Perkins. Website is TonyPerkins.com. Again. Mark this down, November the 28th, from coast to coast, border to border, praying together for life. We're going to be coming to you from Jackson, Mississippi, Sunday night, November the 28th, 7 p.m. Central Time, three days before the Supreme Court takes up the Dobbs case out of uh, Mississippi. That will really challenge the constitutionality of Roe v. Wade. And so... Um, I'm going to have more details in the days ahead how you can participate in this. We'll have people from all over the country will be in Jackson, uh, but you'll have an opportunity to participate as well. So mark that down. Mark that off your calendar. Shouldn't have anything else to do. It's Thanksgiving weekend, so be ready. Earlier today, Senator Jim Inhofe, a friend of ours who's been on the program many times, the ranking member of the Senate Armed Services Committee, led a group of Republican colleagues in calling on Democratic leadership in the Senate to schedule a vote on the National Defense Authorization Act. It's also known as the NDAA. Now, this is an annual, what they call must-pass piece of legislation because it funds the military. It passes every year. Now, here's the problem. Knowing that it has to pass, the left has stuck in some booby traps, and one of those is requiring all women to register for the draft. Now, before I get to that topic, I'm going to play a short clip of uh, Senator Inhofe from earlier today. Let's play that clip of Senator Inhofe.
8: We want to give everyone a chance to participate in this, and the best way to do that is to get on the floor, and that's why we're um, we're here today.
1: Well, talking about getting on the floor and allowing all to participate, that brings in my next guest, U.S. Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri. He is a member of the Senate Armed Services Committee and the Senate Judiciary Committee. And he has an amendment to take care of this problem in the NDAA, removing women from being forced to register for the draft. And he joins us now by phone. Senator, welcome back to the
9: program. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Okay, so give us the latest on the timing of the NDAA and about your amendment.
9: Well, the timing is still up in the air. I mean, the Democrats are doing basically nothing, Tony. I mean, they're sitting around the floor. It is is mostly idle right now in the Senate, so apparently the Democrats aren't too eager to do much of any work. But here's what I will say is that if and when the defense bill does come to the floor, I am going to introduce an amendment, and I'm going to call for a vote, push for a vote on this amendment that will remove women from the draft, the new draft women provision. I just don't think that it's right to force women. We're talking about compulsory service. We shouldn't force our mothers and our sisters and our daughters to fight our wars for us. If women want to volunteer and fight, that is tremendous. They have been tremendously important to every war effort in this country's history, including as fighters. But listen, this idea that we would force them to do so, I think is wrong, and I'm going to try to stop it.
1: I am with you 110%. I'm a Marine veteran. I've served along with women in the Marine Corps, they volunteered in fact if my daughters I've got three daughters if they in fact I've talked with one about going into the uh, to Navy medical medical corps if they want to serve I'm all excited about that but I do not think as you do that our women should be forced to register and potentially be drafted and and, and people say well we haven't had the draft since Vietnam well given the direction that this administration is pushing our military with the vaccine mandates and all of the other social engineering, and they're having problems with retention and recruiting, we may be back to a draft very soon. But there's a bigger issue here That as is I've had conversations with some of your colleagues and even on this program, people miss the underlying issue. There's something much deeper here than just what meets the eye when it comes to forcing women to register for the draft. What's the left really about here?
9: Well, part of this is trying to erase any differences between men and women. I think that's a big part of it. Tony is that they are the left now has decided that they don't really believe in the concept of gender. They don't think anybody should. They don't think that manhood is a real thing. They don't think that womanhood is a real thing. Democrats won't use the word mother anymore. They talk about birthing people. Uh, they, they talk about individuals who get pregnant. They won't say woman. These are the same folks who are trying to eliminate women's sports as we speak. You know, they want to force biological men into women's sports that will devastate girls sports and women's sports across our country so the left has developed this weird obsession with gender and trying to erase all gender distinctions and the truth of the matter is is that that's just it's crazy and so whether we're talking about women's sports uh, whether we're talking about uh, women's locker rooms whether we're talking about the draft uh, there are there are real differences between men and women and those are wonderful things and they should be celebrated and protected not erased
1: Now, this weekend, you were speaking at an event, the National Conservatism Conference in Orlando, Florida. And you said liberals are attempting to give us a world beyond men. What's what's in that agenda? Why why do they want to take us beyond men?
9: I think they want to they want to get rid of the concept of manhood and womanhood. Uh, They want to get rid of the concept of men who actually will be independent, who will be strong, who will stand up for themselves and their families and their rights. And what they really want to do is sell this idea that America is a toxic place, an oppressive place, and men by their very nature are toxic and oppressive. So that if you are a man and if you believe in, in being a man, you want to uh, exercise what were traditionally thought of as the masculine virtues, you know, strength, independence, willingness to fight, assertiveness, that those are inherently toxic. And we see this taught in our schools. You know, our boys are taught this, that if boys are rambunctious, they need to be medicated. If they're assertive, they need to be called out. We see young men uh, told this, that their manhood is inherently uh, toxic and, and oppressive and what it's leading to tony is it's leading to a whole bunch of men basically shirking their responsibilities withdrawing from the labor force withdrawing from their families we've got an epidemic of fatherlessness in this country and it's becoming a society-wide crisis so i think as conservatives we need to say number one manhood is not toxic manhood is about responsibility we need to call more people to it and we need to challenge the left when they're out there saying that you know manhood and womanhood those are just those are old-fashioned outmoded concepts let's get rid of them
1: Yeah, all of these elements are interconnected. You know, we see the draft issue and we think, oh, that's just another issue. No, these are all connected. It is a part of what you said, this deconstruction of our society, of Western civilization. And and ultimately what they want with, you know, beating men into submission is they want docile, easily led men that can be controlled uh, by by government or whatever other entities they put forward. It, it, it really is what has given rise to what we've been in the last few years, our Stand Courageous Men's Conferences, because you, I think you're absolutely right. Men are created to lead. Now, I know that's uh, could be a controversial uh, statement in some circles, but if with without men who are courageous, men who are willing to take risk, how do we defend this nation?
9: Well, you know, this is something that I think we've got to be clear on is that throughout history, we have seen that men have to take responsibility, have to be willing to stand up and fight for what they believe in, fight for their families. And sometimes, as you pointed out, Tony, I mean, you're a veteran, sometimes that is literal, not just metaphorical. Sometimes it means you've know, you got to take up arms in order to defend this country. But it's metaphorically true every day. You know, you You've got to take a stand for your convictions. You've got to provide for the children that you father. You've got to provide for the woman that you love and not just leave it to her To try to manage on her own and manage, provide for the children on her own, and we see more and more men just doing that. They're abdicating, and the left really is encouraging it because the left says, "Yeah, that's right. Manhood is outmoded. Manhood is toxic." You just sit there and be a ward of the government. At the same time, they're telling women, you know, don't think of yourself as a woman. Don't think of yourself as a mother. Don't think of yourself as a wife. Don't think there's anything distinctive about you. You're just, you know, you're just another individual, and the government really can help you and run your life for you. We just have to say no to that entire message.
1: And, again, all of these things are connected. You know, we look at these things, and we see this over here. We see this over here. But this ties right in to something else that you've been addressing as a member of the uh, Judiciary Committee, and that is how the Department of Justice has responded to those who have taken a stand in public education about the indoctrination that's taking place in the classrooms, this gender ideology that's being pushed, and the parents have, uh, you know, they they got a peek into what was happening because of COVID and the online training uh, instruction that was going on, and so the Department of Justice rolls out the big guns, creates a task force to crack down on parents. You um, found out more information, and you have uh, sent a letter uh, just yesterday to the Attorney General wanting more information. Tell our listeners about it.
9: What I want to know is, is why are federal prosecutors drawing up lists of crimes, Tony, that they might charge parents with that have nothing to do with threats of violence or lawlessness? I'm talking about things like making an annoying quote-unquote annoying phone call to a school board member that's one of the things that a federal prosecutor said could be a crime that they might the department might consider charging parents with this is insane by the way it's not a crime let's just be clear about that well let me ask
1: you let me me ask you is can can i declare certain press conferences um on on pennsylvania avenue annoying
9: (laughs) yeah well yeah when they happen you know um when the president consents to answer any questions, but you're exactly right, Tony. I mean, this is what free speech is about. You don't have the right to engage in violence. Nobody says that. But the idea that parents can't go to a school board meeting and say, hold on, I don't want my kids force-fed critical race theory. I don't want my kids force-fed the idea that biological males should be able to use the female locker room. And you have that parent in Virginia, that father in right. Loudoun County whose daughter was raped, by a boy wearing a skirt in a girl's bathroom. He went to the school to complain about it, and he was treated like a criminal. That's what the Justice Department apparently wants to make the new standard. And boy, that is wrong. And you can count on me to oppose that at every turn.
1: Well, I think this is a, a an issue that has really caught fire because I, it's, it's what's driving the Virginia gubernatorial election. Uh, Glenn Youngkin has uh, rightfully seen this issue because they're at really ground zero there in Loudon County where you just made reference to that case and uh, you know if, if people have had enough but uh, this is what really baffled me last week and you went you, you were very f- direct in your questioning of the attorney, attorney general last week uh, and you called for him to step down and resign <laughs> he doubled down he he refused to rescind his memo This is still the guidance that's out there. What's next?
9: Well, what this shows you is how completely captured this White House is by the far left. And it also just shows you how how much the left believes in this agenda. I mean, Tony, they believe this stuff. The far left really believes that parents are the problem. The far left really believes that biological boys ought to be able to use and should use girls' locker rooms. They really believe those things. They really believe women's sports should be eliminated, and they are determined to use the power of the federal government to enforce that. And I can just tell you what's next is – I'm not going to roll over for it. What's next is I am going to resist this at every turn, and I think there will be others who will join me in the United States Senate. And you know, I think you're gonna, voters are going to weigh in on this tonight in the state of Virginia, and I think the more voters get a chance to say that they don't want this, that this is crazy, that this is out of control – That's going to be the key. That's the way that you can stop this radical agenda.
1: So with what we see happening in schools, and this is beginning to move across the country, but just as we were talking about earlier uh, about toxic masculinity, this is designed to suppress, repress men, to make them cower, to make them docile, to make them easily led that's what they're doing to parents that are showing up at these school board meetings. So how should they best push back and counter this effort from the Department of Justice?
9: Well, I think parents have got to be unafraid. And I would just say this to every parent who who hears this program. If you are threatened by a federal official, if you're threatened by a some law enforcement official for speaking up, for exercising your right to free speech, I want to hear about it. And I, my office and I personally stand ready to help. I am not going to watch this happen. You know, i'm a constitutional lawyer by trade this is so wrong it is such a violation of not just the first amendment but really of the whole tenor and tone and essence and ideals of our constitution which are all about the rights of the people parents are voters parents are taxpayers and this effort to suppress them is it's incredibly wrong and i think it's going to backfire i think what you're going to find is parents and voters are going to say no we want to have a say in our kids education and we're not going to be intimidated
1: yeah, I failed to mention, um, of course, our frequent listeners would probably know this, that you also served as Attorney General of the state of Missouri. You are a constitutional attorney as well. So you, uh, you, you've you actually been on that side where Attorney General Garland is in terms of enforcing law, being the chief law enforcement officer in the state of uh, Missouri. Uh, before we run out of time, Senator Hawley, I want to go back to the Uh, National Defense Authorization Act in your amendment, which you're going to offer that would remove the provision that has been inserted that would mandate that young girls, the girls uh, 18 and older, register for the draft. How can our listeners help you in that effort, which I think is extremely important?
9: I'd say contact your senators, contact those who represent you in Congress and say, don't force women to fight our wars against their will, do not support women in the draft compulsory I mean again, the whole point here is it's compulsory, Tony. women would have no choice this is i 'm going to push for a vote on this, and I can tell you right now if this does not pass, if we don't get out women in the draft, i 'm not going to support the defense bill i'm not going to vote for it this is a this is a huge issue. This is, is more important than any single provision of defense spending that the country will do in the next year. And I think it's time for conservatives to take a stand on this.
1: I agree with you 100 percent. We scored the final vote in the House because it had that provision in there. And uh, we are communicating that we may do the very same thing in the Senate if your amendment does not Uh, get onto the bill and is not adopted. Senator Josh Hawley, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for your leadership on Capitol Hill, and thank you for uh, joining us today.
9: Thanks for having me.
1: All right, Senator Josh Hawley of uh, Missouri. All right. So you've got your marching orders. You want to contact your senators. Your two senators encourage them to support Josh Hawley's amendment, removing women from being forced to register for the draft. All right, folks. Great to have you with us. Until next time, though, I leave you with the encouraging words. Of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians six, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing.